KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzay Torah, welcome back. And today is Wednesday, and in this summer's man, the Wednesday shir will be given by Harav Moshe Tarragon, a shir on ethical character, midot, ethical attributes and character. Harav Moshe Tarragon. In um, Perak Vav of Malachi, the uh, Pasuk Ches, Higidlecha Adam Matov, is actually a Pasuk cited by Micha, what is, uh, what is both right and appropriate in God's command? Itself a very interesting turn of phrase and warrant. It's a very, very well-known debate amongst philosophers as to whether God commands something and therefore by the dint of HaKadosh Baruch whose command is to be seen as proper and appropriate and redeeming for humankind. Or God commands it because it contains that self-ratifying internal goodness and virtue. Um, it's an interesting question from a philosophical standpoint. And this Pasuk doesn't really clock in with either opinion. It's both good as well as God's expectation. But either way, the Navi lists three different avenues of human behavior. One is asos mishpat, justice, legality, maintaining a healthy running society with respect for law and enforcement of law. Ahavas chesed, not to be consumed with law, but to be able to operate outside of the box and perform acts of kindness, sacrifice, and generosity. Two obvious ones. And an obvious tandem, which um, in many ways is a complex or a compound of contradictory approaches. One is law, one is compassion and pity, one is what people are responsible to do, the other is what people feel compelled morally and instinctively kindness to perform and then the final part of this three stage complex is the trait of tznius very interesting that the Navi describes tznius as an important phraseology we typically don't associate tznius with proximity to HaKadosh Baruch it's more of a personal deportment but a little bit more about this later commenting on this pasuk the Gemara Makos and the talent of Makos describes a process by which one Navi after another condensed or collapsed the 613 mitzvahs not to negate or eliminate mitzvahs but they tried to centralize religious experience upon ten, five aspects which were cardinal which were chief, recognizing that the general population was struggling to adhere to the total sweep to the overall comprehensive system of mitzvahs. And they recognize value in collapsing or trying to encapsulate the sum total of mitzvahs within a few iconic or representative mitzvahs. Moramakos describes a process by which various Nevi'im, David HaMelech, try to highlight a few, to iterate several rather than expecting the total the total. Um, package. Mara comments on this pasuk. Ba Micha, Micha came. Micha recognized his society, and he reduced the sweep of mitzvahs to three. Ba Micha vehemidin al shalosh. Dichsev. Higid lecha adam matov. Uma Hashem daresh mimcha. Kiyem asos mishpat. Ahavas chasad. Hatsne lachas. Kiyem elokecha. 
So this is not just a pasuk describing common virtue, but evidently was a formula for comprehensive religious behavior, reminding us of the importance, the value of tznius. Tznius is very often misinterpreted. Tznius, modesty, shyness, um, reclusiveness, is very often associated with aspects of human behavior that may or may not express the trait, but even if they do, they're mere externals. And oftentimes we neglect or we avoid defining the essential trait. The Gemara in Megillah describes the three great heroes of Tzniyus, and those three heroes, ironically, belong to the same lineage. The Gemara Megillah, Daf Yud Gimel, describes Rachel as the matron of Tznius, and her Tznius was once again re- reflected or expressed in her descendants, Shaul and Esther, respectively. Now, this Gemara in Megillah makes no mention of clothing or how much hair was covered, but the Gemara speaks of not drawing attention to yourself, not becoming the center of people's attention, the center of people's conversation, not being on stage, not promoting yourself, not projecting your own personality. Describes Shaul being appointed as king by Shmuel, and not really conveying this to many people on his way home, waiting for Shmuel to activate him, so to speak, to alert him to his formal ascension to the throne. It speaks of Rachel's, or speaks of Esther's sneot in very similar fashion. Esther was a descendant of Rachel, the family of Binyamin. She also, Lohigida, Esther et Ama, Ve'et Moladeta, Ki Mordechai, Tziva Aleha, Shelosagid, Perak Be'ez, Pasagyud, describing Esther's resistance to self-promotion and self-advertising and self-aggrandizement doesn't really speak that much about how much clothing Esther was wearing or Shaul was wearing, but about their quietness and their efforts to maintain their privacy, their efforts not to draw attention to themselves. Man is driven by ambition and by a conviction, hopefully an idealistic conviction, that he, in many cases she, although the ego and the drive for ego many times more pronounced in man, can impact those around as a particular talent, skill set, or message. And it's important for that message to be disseminated, to be promulgated to as many people as possible. That draws a human being ineluctably into the public sphere, into the public arena, into the public view. Sneas is the corrective against that publicity against that demonstration or exhibitionism. Sneas is the recognition that the true realm of human activity and human experience is the private realm that no one watches, is the private realm that no one is part of, is the Rishus Yachid. And it's for this reason that women are naturally gifted with greater levels of Sneas. And in the union of a marriage, it's the Sneas of a woman which is meant to complement the ego drive of a male. It doesn't mean that a male shouldn't demonstrate tzniot, and it doesn't mean that a woman shouldn't be driven by 
ambition and recognition of personal talent. But these are some of the natural traits that a Kodesh Baruch hotwired to human DNA, into the differences between genders. And it's the magic of a marriage that creates the blend that on the one hand um, cultivates and develops ambition and talent and allows that expression, that impact, that contribution to society. On the other hand, casts and pitches that overall drive within a corrective and protective framework of tznit. I mentioned the word corrective because true kedusha, true holiness, the true depth of religious experience has to be protected by privacy. Second, that that deep and profound sentiment is flashed cheaply and unnecessarily. It loses its luster, loses its virtue, and ultimately, since it admits other people's views and observation, loses its intensity. It may seem like it gathers momentum, but that's a cheap and artificial energy, not a deep and resonant and profound sense of meaning. It's a very interesting Gemara in Sukkah. The Gemara says... Pasuk and Shir Hashirim describing private parts of a woman, parts of a leg that are typically covered. And Torah is compared to Why is Torah compared to, of all things, a concealed part of a woman's body? Just as a woman's limb or thigh is typically covered of Divrei Torah. Why is Torah compared to, of all things, a concealed part of a woman's body? Just as a woman's limb or thigh is typically covered of divrei Torah baseser. Similarly, Torah is its sweetest and deepest and its highest form of lishma when it's studied for no purpose. Obviously, when I say no purpose, I don't mean no purpose. Torah is its own purpose. Torah lishma for the sake of knowing HaKadosh Baruch Hu and studying his Torah. No purpose means for no other purpose, no ulterior motives, certainly no um, gross or self-serving ulterior motives uh, for kavod, for financial gain, but even uh, ulterior motives to teach, for people to notice your erudition, your scholarship, your, your skills, just to study Hashem's Torah in the privacy of your own world. As the Gemara says, the Mishnah says in Avos, that even if one person learns Torah, if one person studies Torah, Shechina Anytime a person studies the Shem Hashem, Torah is the Shem Hashem, because it's the approximation of Hashem, just as the name is an approximation of a human being, is the access point to a human being. We call a person by their name, and we access them. We don't describe every detail of their personality. We just give them a quick moniker, a quick name. Torah should be studied in private without flashing it in an attempt to impress other people. That's why Torah is compared to Chamukha Yerichayich, and the Gemara in Sukkah, Mondaf Memtaz, that Gemara, quoting Rav Anan, actually associates it with the Pasuk, the prophecy, or the statement of Micha. So religion is protected, not just depth of character and virtue of personality, but the texture and the purity of the religious experience, the Kedusha, is protected through the protective force, or through the uh, corrective force of Tznir, to keep things private, and to make sure that it remain authentic and genuine and deep, rather than artificial and ostentatious.
the Rav Zatzal would always claim that even though the Beis HaMikdash was constructed on the Chelek of Yehuda, Judaism does not sever between reality and religion, between politics and a shrine of religious activity, as let's say, Lahavdil, Greek culture, situated Mount Olympus, the mountain of gods, so to speak, far away from the maddening crime, pollution, prostitution, perversion, and evil, which dominated city life, had to be set apart from reality. Judaism does not compartmentalize religion from reality. And the Beis HaMikdash is located in the heart and soul of the capital. And the Beis HaMikdash is built on the share, so to speak, of Shevet Yehuda, even though Yishalayim lo nishalaka l'shvatim, Yishalayim doesn't really have um, identification with any one Shevet, but undoubtedly, the Beis HaMikdash is associated with the territory of Yehuda, more or less, without getting into the fine details of who actually owned, if anyone owned Yerushalayim. But the Gemara says, Ritzir says a little strip of land jutted out from Shevet of Yehuda. That strip of land belonged to Shevet Binyamin. And on that strip of land of Shevet Binyamin, the Kodesh HaKadoshim was situated. So the Beis HaMikdash was a bit divided, it was a bit schizophrenic. The main stay, the main part of the Beis HaMikdash was built on Shevet Yehuda. But the Kodesh HaKadoshim was hosted by Shevet Binyamin. And the Rav would claim that no, Yehuda is the Melech, and Judaism does not want to separate between the Beis HaMikdash and Malchus. And for good reason, Yehuda is a Melech, he's a Baal Tshuva, Vayer Yehuda Meisachavi, understands the frailty of the human condition, and as a Melech, he can respond to the needs and dependencies of citizenship, of citizenry. And it's important for Yehuda to ascend the throne, and Yosef is deselected as a Melech. Yosef is the Tzaddik, is the pure, never sinning, or never grossly sinning um, brother. But Yosef HaTzadik and the Kedusha, which, or the Tznius, which he inherited from his mother Rachel, and we'll return to that Gemara and Megillah, Rachel Tznius, of not giving up Leah and transferring the codes and not embarrassing her. So Yosef's Tznius was expected to protect the Kedusha of Kodesh HaKadoshim. Kedusha Tzricha Shmira. The Kedusha of Kodesh HaKadoshim requires privacy, requires distance, requires um, almost seclusion. It's what the Kodesh HaKadoshim is covered by a parochas, not just practically to bar entry, but to create that privacy and the protective purity of privacy. Um, there's a very interesting um, medrash. The medrash speaks both about Hashem talking to Yaakov in Parsha's Vayetze. This is a medrash in Barashas Rabbah, Parsha and Aleph. Um, actually, no, it's in, uh, not in Barashas. It's in Parsha Samaches which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to speak with Yaakov in Parashas Vayetze, wants to appear to him in a dream. HaKadosh Baruch Hu desired that audience, that encounter with Yaakov Avinu, so he accelerated the setting of the sun so that his conversation with Yaakov would be private, would be protected by darkness, would be shrouded in privacy not just uh, accelerating the planetary rotation, wasn't just necessary as sort of a trick to force Yaakov to sleep and to sojourn on that mountain, but it was actually creating a theater or an environment which was suited to that conversation. And the Medrash describes a, a parable to a king who wants to speak to his beloved subject, beloved servant. It says, Kibu Asaneros, Kibu Apanasim, turn down the lights, Turn down the candles. I want to speak with my 
beloved friend, child, advisor in private. This is something that only he and I will share. No one else will know. And because no one else will know and no one else will see, it will be deeper. It will be more profound. It will be more passionate. That's why the beauty and the strength of a marriage is protected so vigorously by laws of tzniyos, the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we, what we do and don't display. It's not just a prudish, almost Victorian attempt to protect our sexual purity, but it's rather an attempt to protect and to preserve the depth of passion and to prevent it from becoming cheapened and shallow by flashing it, by exhibiting it. So, that Pasuk, Higid l'cha adam atov, Uma Hashem daresh mimcha, Hatsnei aleches, im elokecha, the phrase im elokecha, is because Tzniyos is in many ways a tool to protect that awareness and to protect the Kedusha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as well as a tool to protect and to preserve personal depth and uh, um, purity of experience. Going back to that Gemara in Megillah, which describes Rachel's Tzniyos. Esther's Tzniyos was well documented. She refused to tell anyone her name, she refused to tell anyone her birthplace. Ditto with Shaul, who refused to glorify himself or aggrandize his stature, having been appointed the first king amongst Amisul. They have a heightened stature. He refused to divulge this information and returned to his father's house anonymously. Rachel Sneas, and Rachel being the matriarch of the, the sort of godmother of Tzniyas, Rachel Tzniyas is more difficult to appreciate because it doesn't present itself in the classic form. It doesn't describe Rachel not announcing herself. It merely describes Rachel delivering the codes to Leah so that she shouldn't be discovered by Yaakov or perhaps by some of the other people. She participated in this ruse with um, Leah. She allowed Leah to swipe her husband, again, voluntarily with Rachel's agreement. Not with Rachel's initiative, but with Rachel's agreement. Now, that act of heroism could be called many things. It could be called selflessness. It could be called charity. It could be called vision. It could be called a lot of different things. Kibbut Ava'im, perhaps. But the Gemara Megillah refers to it as Tznis. Peschar Tznis, Shehaisabah Berachel. The Gemara comments, what was the Tznis of Rachel? So the Gemara says um, that when Mitoch Simanim Shemasa Rachel Leleya Lava Yada Ad Hashtra, the Yaakov only discovered that it was late in the morning because Rachel had delivered the Simanim. Why does the Gemara refer to this trait as Tznias? What does Tznias have to do with this act of selflessness, with this act of almost self sacrifice? What could you even call it self annihilation? Well, on the one hand, it could be traced to Tznius because Rachel envisioned the mortification, the ridicule, the, um, the social scorn that Leah would have been exposed to had she been discovered under the chuppah. Would have been a scene. Would have been a controversy. People would have been speaking. She'd be laughed at. And she couldn't subject her sister to that type of suffering. And she chose to protect her sister and help her evade that predicament or avoid 
that situation. And perhaps someone of lesser sneers and lesser personal dignity would be less concerned about public ostentatiousness or exhibitionism or having people talk about you or remark about you. Perhaps a person of lesser sneers would not have sensed the peril, would not have identified so deeply with the potential fallout of being discovered, of being exposed, and would not have transferred the coats. So in part, it takes sensitivity on Rachel's part, sensitivity that stems from privacy. Rachel herself didn't enjoy the public eye. Rachel herself didn't enjoy self-promotion. And by projecting that anguish upon her sister, it was easier for her to spare her sister that catastrophic moment and transfer the coats. So part of Rachel's sneers is again that recognition of privacy, the recognition of not being on stage. I mentioned before Esther's sneers, and Esther's sneers, unlike Shell's sneers, is more pivotal to the contemporary society where Esther lives. Esther emerges amongst the story of Megillah's Esther, and one of the common themes, the recurring themes of Megillah's Esther, the party of Achashverosh, the the frolicking of 180 days of Shushan, and what's offensive and even affronting is not just the parties, but the lack of any privacy to these parties, the lack of any modesty, the ostentatiousness, the opulence, the alabaster, marble floors and couches and gold and silver, but not just that, but the open display, in gold and silver, but not just that, but the open display, pornographic sense. And it's within this context that Esther emerges. And Esther is the first person to demonstrate chen. Batilbash Esther Malchus. She doesn't wear clothing. Obviously, she wears clothing, but her clothing don't define who she is. She's a person of character and of charm and of personality and of intelligence. And um, Esther refused to put on the makeup and refused to participate again in this orgiastic, pornographic selection of a queen each night. A woman would visit Achashverosh and would return the next day, all bejeweled and all bedecked and makeup and clothing. It was just an endless series of one-night prostitutional meetings, which was cloaked by the, the royal aura of selecting a queen. But it was just a poor excuse for prostitution. And Esther is the redeemer of the story of Megillus Esther, because... She is the quiet, she is the modest, she is the retiring, she is the hidden Megillas Esther, Esther Panim. And she is a person of charm and privacy and modesty, not of opulence, exhibitionism, and self-promotion. So, in many ways, Esther provides the, the corrective to the terrible, terrible voyeurism on display in Megillas Esther. And... Because I'll speak about Am Yisrael being threatened by Haman because they partook of the Suda, of that Russia of Achashverosh. And even though the food there was kosher, the food there was fully appropriate, 
one has to question whether Jew belongs at such a vile and voyeuristic type of experience. Esther has a lot of relevance in the modern era where, because of the free access of information, of imagery, we are becoming, and because of other aspects, we are becoming more of a voyeuristic society interested in seeing other people's lives, interested in projecting our own lives onto others. The modern context has provided a notion of celebrity, not really based on any accomplishments or talent, but just based on those individuals who succeed in attracting our attention more successfully than others by the way they dress, by the way they speak, by the outlandish nature of their behavior. Celebrity used to be based on accomplishment, on um, values that should be exalted and admired. Today, celebrity is just based on who manages to capture the public image, to capture the public imagination, and capturing uh, all sorts of very, very artificial, at best, and um, questionable, morally questionable attempts to capture society's attention. So there's a lot of relevance to Megillah's Esther. But going back to Rachel, there seems to be a second manner of interpreting Tzniyos as the basis of Rachel's um, heroism. Tzniyos should ultimately stem not just from some inner moral sensibility and inner privacy, the recognition of privacy as some sort of natural protectant of depth and of passion and of authenticity, but it should ideally stem from a religious moment as well. The recognition of Hashem's presence as a constant and unending Experience, and even though that presence isn't felt um, at all moments with the same potency and the same intensity, but there's an overarching, there's a general sense of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's presence, and in the presence of greatness, a person does not promote himself in his own paltry and um, meaningless accomplishments, or at least uh, relatively meaningless accomplishments. And so if a Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Melech Machayim Lachim's presence is felt, it's difficult for an individual to project his own talent, his own accomplishments. It should be difficult. Imagine you're in the presence of your Rebbe Bofak. It's difficult to project yourself. It's difficult to draw attention to yourself. So a person feels the constant presence of Kuchibruchu, then self-projection, self-organizement is a lot more difficult, a lot more complex. The Gemara in Brachos talks about Kolham Zvayish, person who is um, embarrassed of his sins, of his past, call him Zbayesh. Mochum lo kalavan osav. Person is Mizbayesh, the Gemara says, dafir beizim and beis. Kal osedvar ver Mizbayesh bo. Not the tshuva, but just the busha. Recognition of Hashem's presence. And this is, again, a form of tzniyos. And in this case, it's almost a very quick and powerful form of tshuva without the arduous and complex process of tshuva, which is typically expected and which is typically necessary. So the source of tzniyos is a selflessness and a self-abnegation which stems from a deep recognition of the presence of Kuchibrecha. And this takes us back to that original Pasuk. It's not just that Sneos protects that moment of Imelokecha. Sneos should stem from the recognition of Imelokecha, from the recognition of the presence of Kuchibrecha. By recognizing the presence of the Rabbonus Shalom, Sneos should be more natural, should be more pervasive and permeating. 
And this is, I think, the Tznius on display in Parshas Vayetze, in the heroism of Rachel. There was a self-demunization, a self-decentralization. Her needs tonight were not the only needs to be taken into account. Imagine waiting for that man of your dreams for years and years and years and having that opportunity snatched from under you by a conniving father. A lot of complex and conflicting emotions must have raged in Rachel's heart that night, but somehow she found the presence of mind and the appropriate self-evaluation to say, well, my daughter, my sister's needs may take precedence for all sorts of reasons which Rachel may have rationalized. And she was able to prioritize the needs of the other upon her own needs. And this prioritization was based on self-decentralization, a self-decentralization which seemed to evolve from the recognition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's overarching presence, which is the real fuel of Tznius. So the Gemara in Megillah identifies Rachel as the great heroine of Tznius by delivering these codes, in part because she herself, more than anyone, could identify with the scorn and ridicule which awaited Leah if she didn't transfer those codes. And in general, independent of the scorn and the ridicule, even if this wedding had taken place in private and no one would have uttered a peep and no one would have ridiculed Leah, Rachel was able to put the other person's needs ahead of her own. And that reflected her recognition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence, the lack of constant self-assertion, and ultimately a successful life of Tznius. As I mentioned earlier, Tznius is a pivotal trait in today's modern context. Much of the society that many of us inhabit is stilted or constructed against the trait of Tznius, the antithesis of Tznius. We live in a very self-promoting, very exhibitionist, a very um, voyeuristic world. And if we ignore Tznius, or if we miscast Tznius, Tznius sometimes is very, very simplistically described as the length of a shirt or the length of a shaitel or the length of a skirt. Or That is certainly an expression of Tznius, not dressing in a manner that calls undue attention. And inasmuch as our society has, and halacha, not just social norms, but halacha has um, institutionalized certain forms of dress, they have to be adhered to as well as part of Tznius. There are certain areas of Tznius which may legitimately be social, historical, and communal. What is considered Tzniastic in a particular community? Mixed seating, non-mixed seating, certain types of interaction. But very often Tznius is either attached solely to clothing or probed and scrutinized solely within the sexual context, the interaction between genders. And it's insufficiently questioned when it comes to personal deportment, self-promotion, um, self-recognizement, and the true definition of tzniyas demands that it be examined in every aspect of human experience, not just the way we dress. That we realize that we're not meant to be on display, our not, lives are not meant to be presented and projected aggressively to others, and that the realm of privacy, the realm of modesty, the realm where no one peers, the realm that a man shares with a Kaddish Baruch Hu, shares with his wife, shares with his family, that's the true realm of human experience and of religious meaning.